welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning. So if you've heard me preach throughout the last few years, you probably hear me make mention of Genesis a lot. And one thing that's really cool about Genesis is it shows us how we were created and kind of the intricacies of how we were created and what we need for life. And one of the things that you notice right away from Genesis is that Genesis chapter 1 shows God creating man and right away we see one thing that man needs is we need information on how to live. And we see in Genesis chapter 1 that this information affects us. And so even in the garden, right? the serpent comes in and gives them information and it affects them. And this is just a side note, but this is one of the reasons why I try to not take in too much news because I know it's going to affect me. This information about what's happening in the world, what's happening in our political sphere is going to affect me. And it's funny, Josh gives me a hard time because he'll be talking to me and Eric about some political thing or some current event. And I'll be like, what's happening? He's like, oh yeah, I forgot you live under a rock. But I live under a very joyful rock, though. You know, ignorant is bliss. I love life, you know, because I don't know what's happening. But the reason why I say this is because all information, we're, we're needy for information. God wants us to know specific things, and those specific things should and do affect us and cause us to live a certain way. And we're in this world that sin has come in. It has separated us from God. And now, again, we're needy for information to know how to truly live. And so we're getting close to being done with Hebrews, and we just studied 12 chapters. And we're getting to the spot now where the author of Hebrews is going, now what's all this theology for? So we heard about Jesus is better than the angels. He's like, you know, in the Old Testament, how God would send his messengers, angels, to communicate to his people? Well, Jesus is better than those angels. Jesus now is the one who speaks to us. You know, the Old Testament priest who would sacrifice for the people's sin and also their own sin? Well, Jesus is better than them because when he offers sacrifice, he's not offering sacrifice for his own sins. He is perfect. So his sacrifice that he offers, which is himself, is that spotless lamb that cleanses us. When we put our hands on him, and place our sin on Him, He is a spotless Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? And so Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices. You know, actually, Jesus is better. His covenant that He ushers in is better than the Old Testament covenant. That covenant was actually just a shadow of the things to come. And so Hebrews was constantly showing us that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Trust Him. Don't drift away. You know, and the world, though, around them, suffering, trials, what was happening? As they were being pressed, what they wanted to do was turn inward and go to something that was easy. But the author of Hebrews was exhorting them and encouraging them, don't turn back. Because this information that I have for you, that Jesus is better, should actually affect you and change you and give you life. Though it seems contradictory in this life, it will bring life. 
Amen? And so we get to this spot in Hebrews 13 where now he's showing us what this information should do to us and how we should live because of this information. So if you can, look at Hebrews 12, 28. So right before our section, Hebrews 12, 28, Eric preached on this two weeks ago. It says, therefore, because of all this, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So because of all this, he says, let us offer to God acceptable worship. And then he gets into chapter 13, and he shows us what acceptable worship is. It's a life lived like Jesus. Amen? And he's going to give us specific commands. One thing that's really cool about this passage, if you realize that there's about five commands just back to back. And in the English, it seems really like he just blasts us with commands. But in the Greek, it's even more more of a contrast, more of a shock, because in the English, like in my translation, there's about 114 words, but in the Greek, there's actually only 75 words. So most of these commands are just like one or two word commands. He's like, do this, do this, do this, do this. So he's not wasting any time. He's not wasting any time trying to tell them what to do. But one thing that I want to make clear is that a beautiful truth that happens in Scripture is that they always show truth and then commands. They never, oh, Eric told me, he says, they never switch it up. He's like, hey, you need to get up there and go say, don't get it twisted. <laughs> Eric, yeah, Eric's way more, he said, that's what Gen Z's are saying now, so you got to say it. So don't get it twisted, all right? Yeah, don't get it twisted. That's from Eric, all right? Not me. That's Eric. I was like, don't tell me how to speak. No, yeah, don't get it twisted, Eric. So yeah, don't get it twisted. The commands always flow out of these truths of us being accepted. So these commands always happen after God saves us. So when Israel, when did they get the commands, the Ten Commandments? Was it before or after they got saved out of, out of Egypt? It was after, right? So he parts the Red Sea. He takes them out of Egypt, saves them, destroys their enemy, and then he says, now live this way. So it's a beautiful truth that we should not get twisted, that God always saves a people, then he goes, he, so he goes, I love you, I saved you, now live this way. Make sense? And so even in our own lives, that's really important to know the linear truths in our own salvation. But I think what happens is in our own lives, we get it messed up. Because the way we preach on Sunday mornings where we don't read the whole book, we do get it messed up. And we hear these commands is going, man, I'm not doing it. I must not be saved. No. How about you see the goodness of God and in gratitude and love, obey. And we're going to get into that, that he gives us these, another truth within the section that's going to help us obey. So he does command his kids to obey, but that's after he adopts us. Amen? And so what I'm going to do today, you know, it's a lot of commands. I don't want to get too sidetracked. So we're just going to walk straight through the passage, kind of giving us some practical things on how to obey these commands and what these commands truly are. 
but I want to really focus on the last point that I have. So if you guys take notes, I have three points for us to walk through this section. So point number one, it's going to be love one another by serving those in need. Point number two, don't seek refuge in things that cannot satisfy. And point number three, be content for he is with you. So point number one, let's walk through. It's going to be verses one through three. Point number one, love one another by serving those in need. So let's look at it with each other. So 13.1, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to the strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So this first, this first group of commands is to love those and serve those who are in need. And so this umbrella command in verse 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. So why this is a, the first command and an umbrella command is because it's going to show us, give us a tangible way on what our relationship should look like as we interact with each other. And so he says, let brotherly love continue. What does that give you, right? It gives you a picture of family. And it's, it's interesting, in our culture, we're getting further away from family, right? Our families are also getting smaller. And so there's people who don't know how to live in a family. Families are being destroyed. And families have been, you know, attacked throughout all of history, right? Because the devil loves to destroy that unity, but if you've come from a family, you know that specific tie that doesn't break you. Even when there's so much hurt, that family tie is different than anything else. And so this picture that he gives us is that we are family with one another. And I think when we talk about this family that we have in Christ, you know, he's made us a family, we need to stop thinking of it as just a picture and a metaphor, but as actually as a reality. So he says, let brotherly love continue because you're a part of a body. It's not let brotherly love continue because you guys should act like brothers and sisters. No, let brotherly love continue because you guys are actually a family. And you know how you became a family? Is by your brother Jesus spilling his blood, sprinkling his blood to tie us. And we are blood, brother and sister, through Christ. And that reality, that real truth, will be made known when we enter in the new heavens and new earth. We will truly know ourselves and each other as brothers and sisters. But on this earth, we need to truly fight to live into that reality. Amen? And so, the culture will tell us, you got to take care of yourself. You got to look for yourself. Who's, who else is going to take care of you? You know, your job, your boss. You got to look out for number one. But this scripture is telling us, let brotherly love continue. And if you're a brother and a sister to somebody, what you're going to do is if somebody's in need, you're going to help them no matter what state you're in, no matter what that might put you in. Because some of these situations he's going to place them in, they're they're all going to be tempted to not do it because out of fear or out of some temptation that's going to stop them. But if you have brotherly love, sisterly love for each other, and family love that ties you, 
no matter what they're going through and no matter the temptation that it might put you in or the danger it might put you in, you'll do it because your brother and sister need you. Make sense? And so let brotherly love continue. And the way we can do that is by knowing that we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first command after this, let brotherly love continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's such a weird sentence to me. But what he's saying, he's saying, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because you might actually be entertaining some angels sometimes. And he doesn't say that they will, but he just uses this as an encouragement that it's like, hey, just like Abraham entertained angels, just like Lot entertained angels, like that's what they should be thinking about when they read this. He's like, hey, you might be blessed that same way. As you open up your home to people who need you, God might actually bless you by you entertaining angels. Like, wouldn't that be amazing to find out that this stranger that you bring into your home is actually an angel? That'd be amazing. So what he's trying to do is get them to go like, welcome everybody. And I think it's, it could be that he's talking about mainly Christian strangers. I think that's more clear to us because, right, let brotherly love continue, talking about the saints. And this, in this culture, it would have been common for Christians to be going around city to city, being strangers, networking, and spreading the gospel. And so it's very important for Christians in this century to open up their house so that that Christian can be safe because it could be very dangerous as they go into certain inns or hostels where they could be mistreated or taken advantage of. And so it would be very important for this culture for a Christian to open up their home so that that other believer is safe. And so he's saying, open up your home to strangers who are believers, who say they're believers, open up your home. And he's like, and you never know, you might be entertaining some angels. You might be drinking some wine with some angels tonight. Open up your home. You know, so it's a beautiful picture and encouragement. And I think for us, right, we don't really run into too many strangers, but I would encourage you, think about this. Let's say somebody comes into our church who no one knows, says they're a believer, and they, have, they need a place to stay. Would you open up your home? The command is, open up your home. Give them what they need. They say they don't have a place to stay. What would you do? I would encourage you, fight against some of those temptations. Trust God and open up your home because you might be entertaining an angel. And that's the command here. And I think for us, again, we're not going to have opportunities like that a ton, but what this does show is let's start to be hospitable even to each other. And that's a way that we're going to be opening up our home so that when a stranger does come, when God does give us an opportunity to open our home in a real way that's maybe a little more awkward, we've already been practicing it with people that we know and love and care for. So keep opening up your home. Give people in the body what they need. Bring them in, whether it's for dinner every week, do it. Keep being hospitable so that when God calls you to a deeper calling, to be hospitable in a deeper way that's more awkward and strange, you'll be ready 
because you're not going to go from zero to 100. So start practicing now, and that's my encouragement to you. God has placed so many people in this body. Start being hospitable to one another. Amen? And again, it's been really cool. As we opened up our home, even Friday nights and other nights, man, I feel like we've had so much more opportunity to actually welcome in strangers because of that. Because before then, I don't know how you welcome strangers in. It's really hard. Like, what, are you just going to pull up on somebody at AMPM and be like, hey, you want to come over? <laughs> so it's been really cool as we open up our home every week to even people to just come over for dinner. They invite people that we don't know. And it's not awkward for us because we've been used to opening up our home. So I just encourage you, open up your home, get used to it, and be hospitable to one another and hopefully, God will give you a blessing by one day opening up your home to even a stranger that might be an angel. And then the third command, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. This one's weird too for us, right? Culturally, I don't know anybody that's a believer that's in prison. I do know that in prison, though, there's believers, you know, in there who maybe did a real crime and they got in there and the Lord saved them. And so I'd encourage us, like, if anybody has a calling for prison ministry, man, please go serve the believers in there. What this command is probably more in line with, there was believers in that culture and they got put in prison because they're Christians, not because they did a specific crime. And it was very common for Christians to get thrown into prison. And so what he's commanding them is do not forget the prisoners who are hurting. Do not forget the believers who are in suffering and trial. And I think that's the clearer command for us. You know, when somebody's going through a trial and suffering in a really hard way, it's awkward to go help them because you don't want to be overbearing. Like, it's just tricky, right? Like, you felt it. Somebody going through a really hard time, it's hard to enter into their life. And what we start to do is neglect them and forget them. So, what his command is do not forget them. Do not forget them. And then his encouragement to you is because since you also are in the body, again, when a part of the body is hurting, what does your other body parts do? They go to tend it. Like, I don't pay attention to my elbow when it's healthy. I don't pay attention to my knees when it's healthy. But when it's in pain, I do, right? You nurse it, you care for it, you ice it, you put heat on it. And so in the same way, don't neglect that person who's in the body when they're suffering. Go nurse them, care for them, bless them, remember them. Even though I think because we're in an individualistic culture, we tend to try to forget them but remember them. In this case, he's saying, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. But I would encourage us, remember those who are suffering. Remember those who you know that are in the body that are going through something. And I know this from firsthand experience. I do know people going through trials and suffering here, and I have sinned against some of you by neglecting you at times because I don't want to jump into it. And that's something that this passage has convicted me of and shown me where I need to care for you more and think about you more 
And I just want to say to any of you, if you felt that, please forgive me. Be gracious to also those who maybe have done that. And as somebody goes to help you, please let them help you so that they may be blessed and you may be blessed. They're commanded to do that. So let's step out and care for those who are hurting. And then as we transition, so these commands are love one another by serving those in need. And then point number two, don't seek refuge in things that cannot satisfy. And it gives us two things. It's sex and money. So look at verse, verses four through five. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. And so what's interesting is as life gets hard, we tend to run to things that we think are going to satisfy us, right? Give us a reprieve, a respite, a break from the pain, the sorrow. Two of the big things that people tend to run to are sex and money. And so I think it's interesting how he gives these two commands right after, hey, serve one another, care for one another. And then he goes to these two commands, hey, keep marriage in honor. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. And if you read it just straight through, it seems they seem all disconnected, just random commands. But I think as you really study it and keep sitting with it, you realize what he's doing here because he's going to connect it with being content and then with the Lord never leaving us or forsaking us. And so keep the marriage bed undefiled. Why is that important? Well, because when times get hard, what do we want to do? Well, culturally and historically, people have ran to certain things. And one of those things is sex. And again, if you're married and you're called to love people and bring people into your house and care for people, if your marriage is distraught, you will not do that. If your marriage bed is defiled and there's something in there that's destroying you two, even though you're sleeping right next to each other, yet you are so far from each other, you will never be able to let brotherly love continue. So he's like, keep the marriage bed undefiled. Please, you need to do this. And it was common historically, even in this time, even in you know, the fifth century, where guys wouldn't be faithful to their wives. So it would just be a common thing. And you know, that still happens now, but it happens even more so in a different way because we have this technology where we can look at pornography we can be cheating on our wives by looking at pornography. And I think it's a good emphasis that we talk about these things because guys do struggle with it. And we need to, I encourage you guys, if you do, confess to your brother, ask for help. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. That pornography will destroy your marriage because it truly is committing adultery. Even if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery. How will that act of pornography and addiction to that, how will that help? All it will do is make you discontent in your marriage. And how will you be able to love and serve your brother? You know, one way of battling this too, if you do struggle with it, most guys, that desire will go away if they actually just call somebody and pray for them. Because 
it turns you inward and you stop serving. And so again, let brotherly love continue. Are you being tempted in that way? Go and pour yourself out. Serve. Do what you're called to do. And it will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But I also encourage women. It's not only guys who have been lustful in that way. Girls just have a different way of doing it. Though it's getting more common for girls in our culture to look in the same way at men as guys do women. But it's very common that a woman might be actually in an emotional affair with somebody or an emotional affair with some character in a book or watching some type of TV show that they're sizing up their husband with, this guy who meets all their qualities. So keep the marriage bed undefiled. It will, if you're sizing your husband up to somebody else, it will destroy your marriage. Keep it undefiled. Keep that relationship pure. There's this passage in Song of Solomon. Get the little foxes out that spoil the garden. What in your marriage is spoiling your garden, trying to come in to separate you two? Get it out. For the man, is it relationship with a woman? Get it out. Is it certain TV shows or pornography? Get it out. Woman, is it a book or a type of book that you're reading? Get it out. Is it a um, friendship that you have? Get it out. Confess whatever might be spoiling that garden. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. Keep it pure. And that is the, one of the ways that you'll be able to have brotherly love continue and serve people. Amen? I know it's awkward conversation, but I think these are good. As we go through the whole council of Scripture, we get faced with some of these things. And it's really good and needed. And then the next thing, he says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So again, we run to sex sometimes to relieve pain and problems. And if you don't protect your marriage, it's going to stop married people from being able to serve and let brotherly love continue. But then also another one is love of money. Keep your life free from love of money. Being hospitable to strangers, being hospitable to each other costs money. Caring for those in prison costs money. Caring for those in trials costs money. A lot of times helping people costs time and money. So if you are loving money, you will not be able to or you'll be hindered in actually serving your neighbor, having brotherly love. And so the command, keep your life free from love of money. Keep your life free from love of money. It was interesting on Friday, you know, doing young adults, I'm always telling them like, man, you guys need to give me something. We have a discussion, but it's mainly just me talking. I'm like, any questions and I answer my own question. But man, once I got into their wallets on Friday, they all started talking. I was like, oh, this is nice. Yeah, I was like, this, it was the most vibrant they ever were when I started talking about giving to people. And they're like, oh, I don't know about this one. <laughs> but it, was, it shows that, man, if you talk about money, people get a little tight. <clears throat> so keep yourself free from love of money. And in our culture, man, that is a command we need to be mindful of. No one thinks they struggle with it, yet it's so obvious that we struggle with it. 
Now, it is okay for God to bless you and give you money. But if He calls you to give, are you in a habit of not giving? I think too many times Christians think through their giving when if you look at Scripture and you're to be honest with yourself, the way the Scriptures talk about giving is a type of ignorant giving. And even when I say that, Christians will be like, I don't know if that's good. You know, you get a little... I don't know, that's not wise. Yet Jesus was never wise in our eyes the way he talked about giving. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving. That's a quick type of giving where you're like, you give and you're like, whoa, what did I just do? Then you think about it and you might regret it, but you already gave. You can't get it back now. So that's the type of giving that scripture would talk about as a quick type of giving, an ignorant, not thinking through type of giving. And again, even as I say that, our, we get so tight, we're like, I don't know about that. I would say, get into the scriptures, see what it calls you to do. And that's where I would say, you might be loving money a little too much. It's okay to have it, but if God wants to take it or is asking you to give it, do you do this or do you let go? You know, what's five bucks? What's 10 bucks? It's a drop in the bucket for how much you guys have how much the Lord has blessed us, and how much He will bless us. And again, so keep your life free from love of money. Don't seek refuge in things that cannot satisfy us. All of us, as times get hard, we all seek refuge in something. And so the commands are not in sex, not in money. And not because they will satisfy, but it's not the right way. It's because it will never satisfy I think in our culture, a lot of us are discontent, and we do think something in this world will satisfy us. But, because we do have something that longs to be satisfied, we have this craving, we have this emptiness, and we think if we have more of another thing, of a good thing, it will fully satisfy us. So we do it with sex, we do it with money, we might do it with other things vacations, whatever it is, but it will never satisfy us. It will never fill us. And what the author of Hebrews does in the end of verse 5 is he shows us what will truly satisfy us. Look at it with me, verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So point number three, be content for he is with you. So the only way we'll ever be truly content with that emptiness that we have and the world has will not be with worldly things. And again, it's not because we can be satisfied in those things, but it's not good for us. No, it's, it will never satisfy us. These things will never fill that hole. But you know what will? It's really cool. It's this reality that God, the creator of the universe, will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's a truth and reality that should satisfy us so much that will allow us to step out in obedience in anything He calls us to do. So as He calls us to let brotherly love continue, how do we do that when pain is happening to us? How do we do that when times are tough? Well, when we know that God will never leave us nor forsake us, it allows us to do that because we're satisfied. You know, how can we share our food if we're hungry? 
How can we give love if we're not loved? So in this reality that God will never leave us nor forsake us, it gives us the ability to fully obey all of his commands because that emptiness we had is fully satisfied by him being with us. There's a really cool quote by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity in his chapter on hope. I wanted to share this with us as we're talking about contentment. It's really cool. I hope it makes sense to you. But um, he says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. And then later in the chapter, he says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so it's a beautiful truth of how we find contentment. On this earth, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The flower withers, it sprouts up and it withers, yet the word of the Lord and the promises and the realities that we have found in Him will never perish, never fade away. So that emptiness that we have, that discontentment that we have, will never be satisfied by digging in more into that thing that you think is going to satisfy you. Is it more money? Will not satisfy, because it can't. Is it more sex? It will not satisfy. Is it more food or drink? It will not satisfy. Learn from Solomon. It will not satisfy. But the only person that will is knowing that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's proven that he will not do that by the work of Jesus. Because when he could have forsaken you, he could have left the garden. He could have stayed kneeling down praying. He said, not my will, but your will be done. He wanted in that moment for that cup to pass, that cup of wrath that should, should have been poured out on us. He wanted so badly in that moment for it to pass. He truly was tempted for it to pass. Yet what did he do? He got up. He did not leave us or forsake us. The disciples left, but he didn't. He got up so that he can prove to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He was forsaken so that we might be welcomed. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? And if we're satisfied in that reality that he will never leave us nor forsake us, we will be able to obey all of his commands, trusting him, knowing that he has our back. Any command that he gives you, he will allow you to fulfill through the power of the Holy Spirit. Any command he gives you, he is not calling you out to leave you to starve. He will provide for you. Amen? So is there a command that the Lord is calling you to do that you're justifying in your own mind, being wise in your own eyes, why you shouldn't obey it? I would say trust Him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Is it going to cost you some money? Well, what's, 
What's a little bit of money to a God who could split the Red Sea? Is He calling you to move somewhere? What's that? That's nothing to a God that's created the world. He can and He will protect you. He can and He will be with you. The Lord is on your side. Isn't that crazy? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as we push into that reality, we get this type of confidence and we get to say with the psalmist, so we can confidently say, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? These believers were suffering, being threatened to be thrown in prison, and they're called to still obey. They're starting to turn inward, wanting to take care of themselves, their own families, and he's calling them to take care of their brothers and sisters out there, outside. And the truth of God being with them is the thing that's going to make them content and be able to obey. And then as they obey, they can say, going, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the implication is nothing, nothing. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. So I just ask you, what is the Lord commanding you today? You can do it through the power of the Spirit And also, don't be scared, for He is with you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your care for us. You are truly our Father who provides and sustains us. You know, we know that You interact with this world as sustainer. Everything's held in Your hands. You know, nothing in this world happens without You decreeing it. We believe that confidently. But as a believer, we know that not only is the world held in your hands, but you also hold us in your hands. And so there's this intimate care that you have for us because you've adopted us into your family. There's a specific care you have for us as our dad that you will not leave us. You will not let anybody or anything snatch us out of your hand, because you care for us. And I think sometimes we just get worried, you know, we have real pain, real trials, real problems that are scary and tempt us to doubt or sometimes forget our reality and our position in your hand. But I just ask that you to remind us where we are and who's holding us. And please, let us remember throughout this week throughout our lives, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and help us to confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can this world do to me? Anything it brings me, it will not destroy me. We are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thank you for that confidence. Please, Holy Spirit, fill us. Help us to worship you properly. And let these realities and these truths of the gospel affect us and change us and get us to step out in obedience to you. Not to be saved, but because we are saved and we step out in gratitude. We love you. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.